0: Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro recharge kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
1: Radio.com
0: Sports presents Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former major leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr.
2: We are finally back after a couple of weeks off. Tony Gwynn Jr., John Heyman, welcome into Big Time Baseball. Uh, got a great show lined up for you today, and I think one of our best guests yet on the Big Time Baseball podcast, and that guest is no other than CC Sabathia. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing today?
3: Good. What's going on?
2: Nothing much. Um, you obviously have finished your your brilliant career, and uh, you seem to just keep doing bigger and bigger things. Uh, the documentary is out now for those who want to check it out. At what point did you get to this where you felt comfortable telling your story in a documentary style? Where I mean, you are revealing everything that you know a lot of people didn't know about you.
3: Yeah. Um. I mean. I, I mean, I don't know, you know, you know, you've known me for a long time now. Like, I've, I'm very comfortable talking about everything. You know, I'm, I'm a person that likes to tell everybody everything that's going on with me. So, um, you know, I, I felt like, but I felt like this this documentary was like me being able to explain it to my kids, you know, because I felt like everybody, you know, around me had known my story and known me about me going to rehab and, you know, everything that I had been through before that and, um. Everybody in my circle, I mean, but but except for my kids, it was kind of like this this thing where I was hiding it from the kids. And they were so young when everything happened in 2015, that little C was really the only one that kind of could grasp that I was in rehab for an addiction. Um, So to be able to, like, put this documentary together and 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 really just kind of reveal myself to my kids was uh, was the goal. You know, we didn't we didn't set out, you know, starting the documentary in 2019 you know, to talk about rehab and all of that stuff. But as we got halfway through it, we, you know, figured that we couldn't really tell the story of the end of my career without telling everything that happened before. And, um, you know, I'm just grateful that, that HBO was able to pick it up and, you know, edit it, you know, in, a, in an awesome way and, and be able to tell my story uh, in a documentary form. Uh, CC, this is John Heyman. I
1: covered you for years with the Yankees. Just fantastic to uh, have you on the show. You're just uh, terrific to uh... – interview and also uh, fantastic in terms of cooperation. I really appreciate that over the years, but I did you. watch your documentary twice. I thought it was fascinating. Uh, it took a lot of guts. It's amazing. Under the grapefruit tree, just an incredible story of how you grew up uh, with your grandmother. Obviously, you, have, you did have two parents, but uh, grew up in that backyard with a grapefruit tree, throwing the grapefruits against the chair. Um, it was an amazing story from there to become what I think is a Hall of Fame pitcher, I guess we will see uh, in a few years, but uh, uh, I think a Hall of Fame career, incredible job. Uh, The thing that got me is uh, how you kept your addiction a secret. Uh, You made it clear in the documentary that you started to drink at age 14, and uh, you said you were a binge drinker, and uh, you you would drink right after you pitched and drink for the next couple days and then not drink. You were able to uh, not drink for a couple of days before you start so you could have a good game. Uh, but still, if you're drinking half the time, half the days, um, how did you... I mean, I never heard about this until the incident in Toronto, which shocked us all that you was any any incident at all with you. Um, how were you able to keep this a secret from the
3: teams and uh, I guess some teammates and the reporters and everybody else? You know what? I, I don't really think it was a, a secret amongst like my teammates. I think my teammates... Especially the ones that were close to me, the ones that were that that hung out with me a lot and stuff. I think the guy, those guys knew and, and weren't shocked that, you know, I checked myself in the rehab. Um, as far as like you know hiding it from the team and you know reporters and stuff, that's kind of easy to be honest. Because, <laughs> we're not you know, too good. Because, we're not too sharp, right? <laughs> no, it's not even that. It's just like we, we, you, you can hide what you you know what you don't want people to see, like you know, you see a Gatorade cup in my locker, you don't know if it's vodka or if it's a Sprite or if it's actually Gatorade. You know what I'm saying? And I had even gotten so good to the point where I would like put vodka in Gatorade bottles and stuff. So like if I was walking out on, 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 getaway day and you saw me walking out with like a Gatorade bottle on a hot day in Kansas city, most likely it was, it was vodka in there and not, and not Gatorade. So as an addict, you get, you get uh really good at, at hiding your addiction, but but, um, yeah, I mean, I got so many calls from different teammates and, you know, just one that, that I know that um, I was, you know, a guy that I was close with that, that was younger than me was Phil Hughes. That, I, like, I would always confide in him about, you know, things that I was going on. or He was just one of those guys that was easy to talk to. So, you know, I know when I checked myself in the rehab, it wasn't a shock to him. Um, you know, Andy Pettit, you know, different guys that, that I was close to, um, even in the doc, you know, Chris Young and, and Dylan Patances. You know, they had, you know, basically watched me struggle that whole year, 2015, going back and forth. And, you know, the anxiety, the depression and all of those things, I never really hid it from my friends. And and uh, so that's why I think everybody was so supportive of, of me going in when I did.
2: I mean, I, I can speak for being one of your teammates. Um I think it was more than I think you just have the type of spirit that people want to be around. and even as you were going through what you were going through i I, I remember in Milwaukee it, it didn't at least it didn't come off as it being an issue. you know mm-hmm. it, it seemed as though you I mean, as John mentioned, you by the time it was time for your start date or two days before your start date, you you, you as you called it in the in the dock, you detox for those couple of days, you go out. And in Milwaukee, you were pitching every third day. It seemed like so yeah. you were you were having to cut it even short. It's it's just amazing to me that uh, you were able to continue that for so long because that was in two thousand what seven two thousand eight yeah.
3: two thousand
2: eight, and it took another seven years before it actually caught up with you. Do you think that's just was the luck of the draw for you, or or did it did so many issues start to pile up that it, it eventually reared its ugly head?
3: No, I think so many issues just started to pile up. Like, um, I mean, just year, you know, year after year after year of doing that, traveling around, playing in in hot weather, you know, pitching, uh, you know, most of the most of my career above 300 pounds. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it just all just started to pile on. But, you know, what's crazy is that, like, when I was in rehab and and I'm, you know, contemplating if I can come back and pitch and how am I going to do this and, you know, you know, trying to come up with a different routine and and things like that, I was scared that taking alcohol out of my routine was going to ruin mm-hmm. me pitching, right. Right. Which, which is crazy. And right. then and then as a 36-year-old, you know, 2016, I come back, and there's no way I could have pitched at that age or even, <laughs> till, you know, until uh, I was 39 if I was still drinking that way. Absolutely right. no way. Like, I, I would have, you know, even with the heart issue or something, I would have, like, I would have had a heart attack in the bullpen or something, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it was getting to the point where like health issues, my knee, like everything was, was starting to just pile on. Um, and, and it would, it would have been an ugly ending for real. I mean, I, I've been blessed in, in so many ways and so many warning signs, just, you know, with the heart and being able to being able to check myself in the rehab on my own, like just, just a couple of different, you know, things in my life where I, I got a chance to just slow down and, you know, it's, it's, helped me out.
1: You know, I, what stands out to me is how did you do it? How were you able to pitch so well? I mean, 250 wins, 3,000 strikeouts. And again, uh, from the documentary, I mean, I'm not say, saying anything you didn't say out loud. Uh, you drank right after you pitched and kept drinking for a few days until you, you were able to cut it off a um, day or two before. But, um, How did you do, I mean, you know, Mickey Mantle was my favorite, that's, I'm dating myself now, my favorite player (laughs) growing up and the greatest player I've ever seen, probably tied with Hank Aaron. Um, And, you know, people talk about how he could have done even better. I mean, the guy was incredible with all the drinking that he did with his teammates. Uh, He was amazing, but people say he could have been even better. I mean, your career I mean, you were picked late first round. You were—they knew you were going to be good. I mean, there's no question about that. You had the incredible talent, but I mean, do you look look at it now. And again, I think you're a hall of famer. But could you have been even better without
3: the drinking? You know what? I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, maybe performance-wise, but I don't know. Like in my life, like if I could have been able to cope with everything that I was that was in my head without without the drinking, if that makes sense? Yeah. You know, yeah. the stress of baseball and how hard it is to play the game and trying to get to the big leagues and do all these things. And, and like, I mean, for me getting to the big leagues, like me getting drafted, like that was life or death. Like, I, I mean, not too many people know, like my situation at that time, my, my senior year of high school, my grandmother passed away and it was just me and my mom living in my grandma's house. And, you know, we were just basically about to be living on her income. Like, so we were gonna have to sell the house. Like it was a bunch of different things that were, that were going on. So like, for me to like to make it was it wasn't like, you know, oh I want to play in the big leagues. Like I had to make that shit happen. Like it, it was it was it wasn't like a oh, this is like a dream come true thing. Like this is like, no, I have to make this happen for my family, you know. Right. So that stress and, and all of that, like being able to have an outlet to just be able to drink and, and not think for a couple days, days, um, you know, I, I think it helped me. Out on the field, if, in a weird way. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but you know, the, the alcohol was would let let me escape what was going on in, in my life, especially dealing with all that stuff at such an early age.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people understand. Like, even for guys who played a game as good as you, the stress level is 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 enormous. Like, it, um, it is it can be overwhelming at times. I know I felt that at certain points, Chris. I never really reached, never got close to the status you got, but. I can only imagine having to support that. Uh, you're having to hold those thoughts about your family. Now, the one thing that comes off and under the grapefruit tree, and and I think this is consistent with a lot of guys who have successful careers, is you had a, a, a partner that that had your back. And, and it seems like from watching the doc, uh, it would have been pretty tough to get through this without your wife Amber. Talk a little bit about that, see.
3: Yeah, no, for sure. And and, and like having a partner that's, that's known me, you know, right. Right. You know, we've been together, you know, since day one, literally she, she was, she was there. I mean, she graduated high school in 1999 and got on a plane and flew to Kingston in in, uh, North Carolina. You know what I'm saying? So she was like in the minor leagues with me. So, you know, to be able to have her there for all the ups and downs, I mean, no, I wouldn't have been able to, to, to be able to, to navigate my career without her for sure. And to be able to, to keep my family intact. I mean, um, you know, knowing that I needed her and having that backbone is what made me go to rehab and, you know, not wanting to have this linger into my, you know, into my post career. And, you know, I didn't want to be, you know, 42, three years old, still struggling with alcoholism, families in disarray and my kids are growing up and, you know, I'm not really a part of their life. That's where I saw myself getting to. And that's where, you know, that's what made me check myself into rehab is, I had always put the game in front of everything in my life. Always, you know, my, my health, you know, family, everything. And, you know, that one time it was time for me to, to, to put myself in front of, in front of the game. And, and, it, and it ended up working out for me. Well, looking at the doc, it, it did seem like you had your family pretty high up in your thoughts.
1: Maybe that's now in retrospect, but it seemed like you were very close. I mean, certainly to your father through age 12. And then again, when you reconnected, um, certainly with your mother, um, your cousins, um, you lost a cousin. Um, it, it seemed like you were a family guy also, as, as well as baseball. It seemed like you you did have that balance, I, I think, at least from watching the documentary. You know better than I do. But um, you had so many, so many tragedies happen. I mean, your cousin, who you looked up to, uh, died of a heart attack. I believe he was in his mid-40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the father, uh, who you had just reconnected with just a couple years prior, um, died. He was also a relatively young man. Um, you, I mean, how are you able to deal with that? Do you think the drink, I mean, I know you said you started drinking early. Maybe it was, a, you know, a genetic thing. Um, but do you, do you think that uh, all the tragedies that you endured really um, contributed to, the, to this addiction?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I, I definitely think it, it was a, a hereditary thing, too. I mean, you know, I definitely have some, some alcoholics in my family that, you know, won't, won't ever address the issue, but that's, a, that's, a, that's where a different podcast, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, the doc didn't even cover half of, of the stuff that, you know, I dealt with, um, you know, a couple of months after my, my father passes away um, in December of 2003 and um, in, in spring training in 2004, my, my uncle which is, you know, my, my dad, he, he picked up for my dad when my dad, you know, when we split up and where my parents split up and my dad kind of took off. My uncle, his name was Aaron Burhill. He passed away from a ma- massive heart attack. I'm in middle of spring training. Um, my dad just passed away. And this is now, this is the person that I talk to all the time, every day. And he passed away from a massive heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, like my mom was like, I don't even know if you can handle coming back. Don't even worry about it you know, just don't come back for the funeral. So I didn't even go back for the funeral. Made my start, pitched opening day. And then we get two months into the season and I'm in New York um, about to start a game and I get a call that my cousin got killed, which is my my uncle's son. So my best friend, my cousin, I played catch with my whole life. Like this is like literally, literally my best friend gets killed um, the night that I'm about to pitch in Shea Stadium. So I make that start. I fly home back to Vallejo, I go see his body at the morgue. And then I'm like, man, I don't even know if I can, I can stand another funeral. Like I don't even want to be around here. So I literally left and pitched my next start in Chicago. So I wouldn't even give myself a chance to like mourn or process none of this stuff that was happening to me. And I'm, you know, I'm brand new in marriage. I got a new baby, like, and and I'm still, you know, trying to make all-star games and trying to get a, a contract and trying to figure out a career. So like, it was so much stuff that just was going on, you know, early in my career, man, that man it it's it's just a weird thing that how everything turned out and and you know, me looking on the other side of it now, you know, having a 19-year career, it's just weird that I lost so many people but was able to to put that together. I mean, I don't know. It's it's uh it, it was crazy. I
2: I mean, listen, 19-year career you've had a, a massive impact on your teammates and players around you. You can tell that. Uh, if you if you're in the baseball community, you ask somebody about C.C. Sabathia, I've never heard anything negative. It's always positive, always all love. But this right here, this documentary could end up having a bigger impact than your 19 career career did. So uh, kudos to you. Today. I want to fast forward a little bit to the post career. Uh, I don't know if, if you post any pictures that don't have your son, little C on a baseball field. You've become you become a baseball dad now. You sit in the stands, you get to watch and. And, and, and what's that been like for you to travel around with your son as he goes through these showcases and shows out how how
3: how has that made you feel it's been fun man it's, it's been so much fun to be able to to just be with him like I hadn't seen him play since he was 12 years old until wow. last summer so like to actually just sit down and be able to like chop it up with him after a game and drive him to his games like I'm having so much fun just just driving him to the games you know and you know, uh, throwing BP to him and just, you know, kind of hanging out, we get a chance to work out together now and, you know, to be able to like, to be in his life for real, you know, cause right. when you play and right. obviously, you know, like our wives are, are basically single parents, you well, know what Mom I mean? and
2: dad, right?
3: Yeah. So to be able to, to be able to be here now and, uh, you know, Carter's playing, the girls are dancing. So it's a lot of fun and, and to be able to show up a little C man and, and, he goes by Karsten. You know, he don't want to go by Secret. <laughs> so he goes by Karsten. He wants to be his own man. So it, it's fun, man. And he's a smart kid. He's getting good grades. And, you know, the schools are calling now. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just praying that he gets to play at the next level. And, you know, he works super hard. And, you know, he's been banging. So, uh, you know, hopefully he gets a chance to play in college.
1: Yeah, I've seen his name in some big games, so he's obviously got some talent. Um, I'm just wondering, as, as you look at it, you have uh, obviously otherworldly talent and you made the most of it. Uh, do you feel like there's extra pressure on him uh, since you're, you know, probably a Hall of Fame player? Um, I, I believe he's a hitter, though, right, in a first baseman, so it's at least it's a different position. Um, yeah. How good is he? How good do you think he can be? And do you feel like uh, he feels that weight on his shoulders?
3: You know what? I, I, when he was a kid, he definitely felt that weight on his shoulders and, and hence why he goes by Karsten and not CeCe. But <laughs> as he's gotten older and like he's growing into his body now, he's he's about six four. He's probably like 225. Like he's a big kid and, you know, he's growing into his talent. Like he has a really, really high baseball IQ. And, and, and when he was younger, he would know what he was trying to do, but his body wouldn't let him do it. You know, like he'd be trying to hit behind the runners and you know, hit the ball to right field and do all these different things. And I'm like, see, this is Little League, bro. Just hit a <laughs> like, like, He's so smart, though. Like, his baseball IQ is so high, and he wants to do everything right that, no, he's a good player. I mean, he's definitely going to play on the next level. And, you know, he, he works hard enough that he definitely has a chance to, you know, hopefully make it to the big leagues. But, um, yeah, I mean, he just he, – he thinks the game so much that, and that was always him, as a, you know, eight nine year old. And I'm like, bro, if you just see a ball up, just hit it out, please. Like, <laughs> hit runners and do all this different stuff that you see on TV. Like, like, just hit homers, man. That's all we need to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> see,
2: as as I mean, as we go through the phases of your your career slash life. I mean, you had the 19 year career. Now you're a, a, a baseball dad and a, and a dance dad. What what's next for you? I mean, I I you doing a little bit of everything. You got your hand in podcasts. You, I seen you do a hoop game, uh, the Nets game not too long ago. Like, what is it that CC's going to do next?
3: I think it's just take it slow, organic, like whatever, whatever is kind of falling in my lap. If basketball games roll around, I'll do more basketball games. You know, we're doing a podcast with, uh, with Ruko. I really love it And I really enjoy doing that. And that's kind of really like my only job right now. Um, is doing that. So everything else is just like having fun. So I don't, I don't really want to do anything where I'm like, I have a job, you know, right, like right. being able to, you know, showing up at the field every day at two 30 for two thirty for four o'clock stretch for 19 years, I'm ready to be able to just <laughs> do my own thing. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I want to have a couple years, at least to the kids are going, at least to the kids are out of the house where right. my, my schedule is flexible enough where I can just take off a couple weeks and, you know, go on a trip. So um, right now, just whatever comes my way organically. And, and, and if it's in my lane where I like to have fun and I'm good at it, I'll do it for sure.
1: Yeah, I had one more question about the the documentary that really stuck out to me. I mean, you you were the consummate team player. I mean, uh, on yeah. the Tony Gwynn Jr. brewers that we talked about earlier, you, you did pitch every time they handed you the ball. Um, and they were often with very little rest and went out there and really carried them into the playoffs. Um, And that's the way you were your whole career. I'm just wondering what, when you came, it came time to make that decision to check yourself into rehab. um, Was it, I mean, it was right on the eve of the playoffs. And I know that it probably tortured you to do it at that time, but what, what ultimately convinced you that you really had to do it at that moment. And then the story of, I think they gave you an assignment at the rehab facility uh, writing a story, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was something else. Can that you, was powerful. Can you, talk, yeah. can
3: you talk about that a little bit too? Yeah, um, I think the 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 one thing that what was crazy is that I never even thought about my teammates or what they would think outside of Chris and Dylan at that time. Not until I was sitting in the rehab facility and they were and I saw them playing against um, the Astros in in the wild card game. So like in that moment, I was just thinking about myself, like what I needed to do for myself. I was just so tired and yeah. upset with myself and, you know, just sick of my family being upset. And I was just tired of, of myself. So I, I, I didn't I hadn't even in that moment. I hadn't thought about my teammates. And and that's why you see me saying the dot. It was I hit rock bottom when I'm sitting in the rehab facility and I'm watching my teammates play because I hadn't even talk to anybody i didn't t- i didn't tell guardy guardy was one of the leaders on the team like i had just talked to dylan and chris and i bounced you know what i mean and and to be and i hadn't even thought because the first thing i did when i left um candom yards is i went right to the liquor store and got two more bottles of hennessy so now i'm not even in my right mind so when i come to like when i when i basically realized what had just happened in the last 36 hours i'm sitting now i'm sitting in rehab with the shoestrings no shoestrings and I'm sitting there and I'm watching my teammates. And and hmm. that's when that and that's why I say that's when I hit rock bottom because I couldn't even be there for my teammates and I didn't even explain what I was doing, you know?
1: Yeah, and wow. it seemed like you you uh, you found a cure very early uh in the rehab. I mean that rehab is not always successful, but you were able yeah. to do it almost right away. They gave you an assignment, uh, writing, I think, uh pretending you're writing to yourself or something like that. And yeah, uh, so- it seemed to be magic.
3: Yeah, the assignment was to write a letter as one of your family members to yourself, as if you had passed away. Um, and so then I decided to write the letter as I'm writing. My, I'm, I decided to write the letter as Little C to me. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm writing the letter and I'm reading it, and my roommate was was pretending to be me, and then I'm Little C, you know, reading the letter, and I'm getting. I get halfway through it. Literally, I get halfway through it, and I'm like, man, this is like me. And I stopped and said that I was like, I'm saying this to my dad. You know right. what I mean? And and right when I said that, it was just like I felt I felt how I feel now, just like a joy and happy and you know glad to be here, blessed and you know like all these things just came over me. And it's been how I, and it's how I've been feeling, you know, five years later. It, it's it, it was the weirdest thing, just being able to to say all those things and get those things off my chest. You know, because I hadn't got a chance to, to say none of those things to my dad um you know in that moment when you know when he's laying in the hospital bed and past you know during the last couple of weeks we hadn't gotten a chance to to talk and and you know me being able to, to express my feelings and even you know 12 years later being being able to express how i felt um you know was a was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders for sure
2: i can tell you see that's the part that that the faucet came on when I was watching. Like, I, I it, it, it immediately made me think of my father, who I didn't get a chance to say bye to as well. And that was, to me, the most powerful point of, uh, of the doc, was you realizing that you had been holding all that in all that time as you started to pretend like you were a little C, and then realizing, man, these are all the feelings that I had when I was that age. So I, I just thought that that... The whole thing was was spectacular, man. We I, I commend you for it because you're going to help a whole bunch of people.
1: This is a great guest, and I really appreciate you getting him, Tony, because this is really fantastic. Um, I, you know, you seem like, as I said, consummate team player. Uh, but it it did seem like the 3,000 strikeouts were important to you, and the 250 wins were important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you about the Hall of Fame. I mean, is that big in your mind now? is, is how important is that to you? Um, And how do you think we've handled that? Have we messed up some? Are there some guys that you've played? You played a long career, obviously, two decades. Uh, Are there some guys that we've just missed on that we should have put in, you think? Uh, But mainly I want to ask about you. What are your thoughts on the Hall of Fame?
3: I mean, you know, you know me, John, we talked about this plenty of times. I never played for the Hall of Fame. Like I could never get myself to even think about, you know, me going into the Hall of Fame, especially while I was playing it was just always a blessing to me to be able to stand in big league clubhouses, like coming from where I came from. So, you know, I was just always just wanting to be present Um, sitting here now on this couch. Yeah. I would love to go to the (laughs) hall of fame. (laughs) 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 uh, Just just to hear my name considered as a hall of famer, you know, is amazing to me to be able to be the third, you know, African-American pitcher to have 3000 strikeouts, like 250 wins, like amazing it's, it's weird to think of like me, like CeCe Sabathia. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a weird thing, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to be a, you know, a part of that group. And, um, yeah, I mean now, I mean, it's, it's not up to me now, it's up to you, John. So what'd you think? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know who's listening,
1: but you, you got my vote, but that's off the record. <laughs>
3: I tell you,
2: I, I tell you what. See, that is—I uh, think—that speaks to to the humble spirit you have. The fact that you still are like in all of the whole thing, I, I think, speaks volumes to you. But since we kept you a little bit longer, I want to ask you a questions, kind of off off in right field a little bit. I know uh, this 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 bargaining agreements coming up between players, owners, and I can't help but keep looking at the NBA, where it seems like players and owners have a good understanding that uh, they're partners in this and the better they can better each other. What advice would you give to these two sides? Because it just seems like over the last three, four years, there's a lack of trust on the player sides, which, which it will lead to the type of uh, temperature we're at right now. What advice would you give both of these sides?
3: To, to Like what you just said, to understand that this is a partnership and it's for the, the good of the, like the game and the fans, right. you know what I mean? Like now that I'm, sitting on the other side of this and and, and and I'm a fan of the game, like you don't want, you know, rumblings of, you know, we don't know when the season's going to start or, you know, this side don't trust that side or this side just wants money. Like that's bad for the game. We don't we don't need any of that. You know, right. I was talking to a player, I'm you know, a couple, couple weeks ago and, you know, we were talking about, I was saying, you know, maybe spring training to be pushed back, you know, maybe to get fans in the stands, be a little safer, you know, Arizona. And they were like, nah, that's just the owner's, They just don't want to pay for it for a month. I'm like, what the, what are you talking about? It's like we're in a pandemic, bro. Like stop thinking everything is like a scam. Like it's just so crazy how we've gotten to this point where the owners or the, the player, no, either side can't say anything without somebody raising the eye. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, it shouldn't be to that point. And everybody in the game is making money. The players are making money. The owners are making money. Everything is, is in a good spot. We need the game to grow and the game is not going to grow if these two sides can't figure it out.
1: Very good. You know what? It's like that in the country now too. So uh, it's kind yeah. of a microcosm of the country where there are two sides and uh, they're not getting along so good.
3: Yeah. yeah. But, but we don't want that in sports though. Like we, we want, we, we want people, we want, that should be, we should be taking, you know, our minds off of that type of stuff when it comes to baseball, you know what I mean? And, and, I mean, not social justice and things like that. I mean, obviously you want players to speak their mind and things like that, but as far as like the two sides getting along and, and trying to figure out the money and I mean, come on, like let's 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 figure this out so we can guys playing, man. Like, come on. We need to make sure, uh we need to make sure
2: both sides hear this podcast immediately because that to me is is where it all lies. Is if they understand that they are partners in this and both sides benefit when everybody is working together. This thing could to, could get to the levels that we've seen basketball and football rise to. So,
3: and, see, and everybody keeps saying that the game is like dead, and and in, in, in the youth sports, it's not. Like it's a lot of more kids playing baseball than you think. I'm, I'm at these parks all the time, and that's are filled with kids playing baseball. We just need to do a better job of marketing our players and 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 getting and getting more opportunities to these players to get to the next level. But the game is not dead at all. I mean. Not, not I thought that sitting in the Big League clubhouse but now that I'm on the other side as a dad there's plenty of kids playing this game and, and there's plenty of superstars out there to get to the next level to be able to to grow the game it's just it's just for the for the the higher ups to figure it out
2: yeah they're watching the youngins are definitely watching so we got to make sure that uh the the top, people at the top do what's best for the game and, and growing it See, uh, uh, as always, man, always appreciate you catching up with you. Appreciate you coming on today, and uh, hopefully, we can do it again soon.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys.
0: Okay, picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road